welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week, we don't have just one guest. We have two guests. The last time I had him on, he was a two-time national champion. Now he's a three-time national champion. Today is her first time being on the show as a guest. Everyone welcome Mason and Kay Lane. Welcome, guys. How are you? Excellent. How are you? We're doing well. Good. How are you? Uh, I guess I just asked that. Disregard. <laughs> All right. So, normally what I like to do at this point is ask the guests to introduce themselves, but I want to do it a little different tonight. Things are different, so I want a little twist here. I want Mason to introduce Kay and Kay to introduce Mason. Easy peasy. All right. Uh -oh. Kay first. Do I go first? Sure, Kay, go ahead. Women first. All right. Um, so we've got Mason Lane, um, I think three-time three, three -time national champion, um, multiple area match wins. Uh, he is an instructor for the shooting sports, a um, Boy Scout. Uh, he's uh, He's got a lot of good stuff. Um, I don't know what else to say about you. You're doing honestly. great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sponsored uh, by Grey Guns, Sig Sauer, um, the Blue Bullets, um, and overall just pretty good guy and a pretty good shooter. Uh, I hope he's a pretty good husband too. Yeah, he is. Okay, yeah. all right, good. That was a part of my right, list of interesting qualifications, yeah. I guess. That's just average. <laughs> all right, all right, Mason, your turn. Uh, this is Kay, Kay Lane. This is my wife, Kay. She's uh, she's been shooting for. Uh, five, four, four or five years now. Yeah, I think four. She's four. Uh, a class, a class by skills, probably, or a class by classification, probably master class by skills. So she's definitely one of the better women out there. Uh, she owns her own business as a farrier, so she, you know, takes care of horses' feet, which is a, a cool and interesting thing. I think that's definitely given you a lot of wisdom uh, as far as I don't know, maybe in terms of self confidence, in terms of um, sort of your approach to shooting in general, has probably shaped a lot of that for you. Mm -hmm. But uh, she has a very different perspective on shooting than I do. So she's a very good. Um, she compliments me and my lessons and my in my uh, training business very well. She travels to most of the classes with me, uh, and is it is a great asset in that way because she's able to relate to shooters in a different way than I am. So she's an interesting cat to talk to, which I suppose is why part of why we're here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and before I get into the other questions, um, I assume that she relates to female shooters better and can help with that portion of the classes. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, I know for me, I, I, I think it's in general, I think sometimes my approach can be a little bit different with female shooters, which I think can be helpful. <laughs> um, and, and I think sometimes women just take it better from another woman, um, like take the information better. Um, just because it might be more relatable to them. But, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I can I can see that. And that's not saying that you can't relate to men either. But yeah, I can no. see it's much harder for a guy to relate to a woman and vice versa. So. We, all, we all think differently. Even, you know, there's obviously a lot of crossover, but we do all think a little bit differently. Sure. All right. 
So as I said earlier, Mason's already had the icebreaker questions. So Kay, these questions are for you and Mason is not allowed to help. Oh. This, this, is, this is like the newlywed game where he's not allowed to say anything <laughs> until the answer is exposed. All right. So Kay, question number one, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like, I, I honestly, I love so many, like I'm, I'm the type that I'm very wishy-washy. I would actually say my favorite movie though is called, um, Edge of Tomorrow. I think it is. It's something, it's something like that. Um, it's Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Um, that's actually like one of my favorite movies of, uh, like I'll, I'll rewatch that whenever. I'm sorry. Sci-fi, correct? Sci-fi, correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen it. But I know the movie is coming. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, I, but honestly, I'll I'll watch like a comedy. I'll watch the Harry. Po I just watched the Harry Potter series, like any of the classics that I like. But yeah. Okay. Now we have found. <laughs> a, a oh, sorry. The dogs that come here. <laughs> and uh, uh, through this line of questioning, I found that a lot of people don't read books. What is your favorite book, though? My favorite, I'm sorry, book? Book, yes. Oh, book. Hmm. God. I'm a big reader, so that's actually, that one's really hard. Um, oh, okay. Is there a genre then that you typically read or? Um, honestly, I really like, um, like I've kept my teenage dystopian, uh, you know, stories, but I, I love like the dystopian or like a different world or something like that. Like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. I honestly like my Kindle is like absolutely full. Um, like I would say like currently I'm, I'm, uh, I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale kind of thing. Like, I, I like the the dystopian kind of thing. Um, all time, though. God. Am I still not allowed to help? <laughs> Go ahead. You can help. Yeah. Basically, every book Kate reads, this is always like a running joke for us. I'm like, what's your book about? And uh, and she'll explain this super, like, long-winded, like, mm -hmm. oh, well, there's, like, uh, there's this, this one faction, which is, like, supernatural in, in X way, and there's this <laughs> other faction that's supernatural in Y way. And the government's all jacked up and like they're fighting against each other, but also the government. So it's like in most cases, like most of the books are basically 1984, only exactly, like, yeah. only campier. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Currently, though, I think the series I'm really liking is uh, there's a series and it's a, a Court of Thorns and Roses. And that's like my, my favorite right now. But that changes like. Every week. So is that is that book basically exactly what Mason just explained? Uh yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now we know we know what the the theme is there. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> All right. I don't know if you're into superheroes, uh, but if you are, who is your favorite superhero? Um. So I used to watch the Marvel movies a lot. Um. Now I actually, I'm a big fan of, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you've seen it, The Boys. Um, so I'm going to take my current favorite character from The Boys, and that would be Maeve. Okay. Right. She's essentially Wonder Woman, kind of, but. 
Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Now, the next question is favorite gun and caliber, but they don't have to be married together. Oh, gun and caliber. Um, so my favorite dog. Yeah, yeah, she keeps it up. I'll be right back. This is case section anyway. Yep. Um, so I have a really, really cool pistol, a pistol build. It was like my first, um, rifle build. Well, pistol build but um and it's a 300 blackout with a silencer and that is probably my favorite favorite to go shoot it's okay. it's pretty different and uh it's really cool i actually i'm i'm super excited though i i it's warring with i just got a 30 30 lever action that i've been wanting for a long time and uh that i find very very cool too just because it's different than what we normally do so that's kind now of two answers. 30, Probably my 300 blackout's better, though. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, now, what's the lever action for? Just plinking or small game hunting? What? I'm honestly not a hunter because I'm not really much of a killer. I'm not against it. And I would like to go hunting at some point. Um, and we set it up really to um, take down a deer. But I, it's honestly... I. I um, I play video games a little bit, and I played Red Dead Redemption for a while. Um, and in Red Dead Redemption, there's a you have a lever action Henry with you know gold receiver, and you know it's just absolutely awesome. And I've wanted one since then, so we I, we finally ended up getting one. So we actually we sent it in just what two days ago. It's pretty sweet. So okay, now you got you guys are much younger than me. Um, but have you ever seen any of the old episodes of The Rifleman? No. No. It's a pretty cool series. Way old. Um, old West style TV series every week. And the guy, the Rifleman, used a lever action rifle. And he would spin it around as he cocked <laughs> it. And, and it, But he was like the good guy in the wild, wild west. Mm. It, pretty cool series. You might actually like it. Based I probably on would. I probably would. Lever action. Um, I'm trying to think. Let me. The rifle. So here you go. 58 to 63. Chuck Connors was the main character. Hmm. Now, I, that was still before my time, but in the 70s and early 80s, you, you could still watch all that stuff. Mm. So just Watch a little thing. Out. Okay, the, the last question I usually ask is geared specifically for the guest. It isn't just like the random or the same questions that I give everybody. Now, what, as a farrier, what is that work called? Like when you're actually trimming the hoof of an animal, what is that called? Um, that, I guess I, um, like it, it's literally called trimming the hoof. Like it, it's farrier oh, okay. work or, um, like if I'm trimming the hoof, I'm trimming the hoof. Um, you you can obviously do like the ironwork style of things. Like farrier comes from uh, you know the Latin Latin word iron. So so you're working with metal. So you shape the shoe, and then I'd be actually shoeing the horse. So you do all that. You shape it. You do yep. all that. I do all of it. Yep. 
So basically what you're telling me is your grip strength is ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I don't have to worry about grip strength at all. I'm, I'm more so I have to <laughs> no. worry about injury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this episode is brought to you by Laser App, L-A-S-R App. They specialize in laser dry fire training, super convenient, and not to mention super cheap. You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. And it's veteran-owned, Semperfy, Ben. You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell CERT guns and the CERT AR bolt so you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six-part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also, use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I enjoy it. How long have you been doing that? Um, I think I'm going on, um, I guess I'm going on nine years now. Um, I started wow. when I was still in high school. Um, I had to do an internship class in high school and I originally tried to do it. My parents had a business, um, a, a welding shop and I was trying to do it in the office thinking that's where the money's at. And I realized really quickly I was not an office worker. Um, and I needed credits for the class. So my, our, my farrier at the time was like, oh, you got to go with me. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm not tough enough for this. She always said I should. I was like, I'm not tough enough for this. And, uh, she's like, well, just get your credits. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get my credits. And I did it and I really enjoyed it. So I, uh, when I graduated high school, I went to school like eight months later and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Nine years later, here you are still doing it. Yep. Now, Mason mentioned earlier during his introduction of you that you travel to a lot of his classes, help with a lot of the classes and stuff. Do you ever find the, the farrier work and the classes interfering or are you able to schedule your farrier work around all of that? Um, so, so it's, the good thing is with my work is I can schedule things whenever I want, but the crappy part is with both shooting and farriery is that um, the busy season is the summer. Um, so that's where it kind of crosses up, but it just means honestly that I, I train really hard in the spring and fall and I train when I can in the summer, but um, some days it's like, I'm, I'm going to be like beat by the end of the day. Cause I'm, I'm in the heat doing yeah um so not necessarily uh you know ready to go shoot at 6 p.m when i get back or whatever um so it just means you know i have to work really hard to be able to go on those trips honestly in between yeah that's that's physically demanding work so yeah side question what do you do for hydration because you're outdoors all day it's not like you're doing this in an air-conditioned room no um i have a uh well one coffee 
Um, two, I have a, a, a jug, like, a, I don't even know how much it holds. It, it's almost a freaking gallon of water, though, and I usually take two of those in the summer. Um, I'll do liquid IV sometimes in one of them, but honestly, just mainly just water. Like, if I'm, I just have to sit in the truck, and every time I'm driving, just drink and drink and drink. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, d I don't make any money from hoist, so this is, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever tried hoist. No, I haven't. Very, very tasty, but it's the combination of all of the electrolytes with mm. just a little bit of sugar you need for rapid absorption. Um, it's actually 110% better hydration than water. Okay. Um, it's kind of like liquid IV, but tastes better, works fast, might be something to look into. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, just, I'm, just I'm a, always up for just trying something, so. The cats so I, I wish it was around when I was in the military because that's what, now it's actually the preferred choice by the military. It's in all the PXs. It's on every base. Really? That's what they sell commercially. Yep. Okay. So cool. Yeah, no, I'll have to just, try it. And what about, have you ever tried a, a Camelback? Um, I honestly, uh, no, I, I'll, all I try to do is I, if I put the water bottle between me before, between my anvil and the horse, then as I'm walking back and forth, I just try to grab it. And every time I walk by, I drink, um, honestly, I try to like, because horses are dangerous, I try to like minimalize what you know, what I have with me and yeah, on me. All the rules of woodshop apply. Like you, yeah. you leave your chains and long earrings and uh, sweatshirt yeah. strings and uh, loose clothing kind of at the door on that one. Cause yeah. horses have a perpetuity to murder themselves on flat ground. So yeah. you don't need to help them. Or get yourself murdered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not small animals. No, no, no they're, they're big animals. Yeah. Big, big animals. Yes. Do you ever work with any of the big, like, Clydesdale size workhorses? I have, and I quickly stopped. Um, I've, so you really need, um, like, they have um, something called stocks, where it's essentially, they take, like, I don't know, even know what it is, probably six by six wood um, beams, and they build, like, a, I, I, like a box, essentially, to keep them in, um, just because they're so mm. heavy that they can't even support their own weight long enough to shoe them. So they set it up so they can like tie up their leg, like one leg and work on that one leg. Um, and just good Lord, that works way better than you getting under them and, and holding up the leg. Um, just they're, they're too big. It's, it's yeah, just, that's I, a I, huge animal. Gorgeous, yeah. but huge. Yeah. When I was in shoeing school, they had a couple that, um, were like Amish owned that we would shoe, um, to actually work, which it was fun, you know, to do like, a couple times but not i wouldn't want it in my own clientele to do every you know six weeks now i have a um 175 pound great dane that i call baby uh, yeah. rhino that runs as fast as a thoroughbred could, do you think you could chew him for me <laughs> i could probably try <laughs> <laughs> I, he hates oh my gosh he hates his toenails being clipped oh, and if my yeah. wife even touches his paw he gets up and walks away Aww. he's the only only dog i've never been able to hold down yeah the only dog That's a lot of dog it's a lot of dog yeah man 
All right. So that's all the preliminary stuff. So Mason said you've been shooting about four or five years. So how did you get into shooting? When did you first shoot a gun? Um, so I had like, um, we, so we, my parents had 40 acres. Um, so I've, we've always had like a tiny little, you know, shooting range, like go a couple times a summer, um, like plank, you know, um, so I owned like a couple of 22s when I met Mason, but it was not, I was not a good shot besides like, you know, I could, I could shoot rifle. Like I could shoot a 22 rifle really well. Cause you know, there wouldn't be any hand action into that. Um, but no, uh, no real, uh, real shooting. Um, and then I met Mason and, uh, in the beginning I just loaded mags for him. I'd watch him practice and load mags. Um, and then he got me into, Man, that was great. <laughs> I was so bad at it. I was too slow. I, I remember even then being like so depressed. I load like one mag and he'd have five loaded. I'm like, how do you do this so fast? Um, uh, he loved it when you were on your internship. Yeah. 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 On probation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after a while, I, I watched him at, I think, a local match or two. And I realized like, all right, this is this seems pretty fun. Like I wouldn't mind shooting, and two, I don't really just want to sit around and watch. Um, <laughs> pretty sure that's what you told me. Is this sport is way too boring to watch and not do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, um, yeah, you're right. You should probably start. So I shot PCC for a while. I think I did that for I don't know, like I think it, I started in March of whatever year that was, 2018. Um, so it. And I stayed with PCC, I think, till June. It was a week before Area 7. I changed to carry optics. You got into it about six months before me. Oh, really? Very good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't find this sport till I was 52, unfortunately. Yeah. So. I know. All I right, so. Yeah. Now, how Nils and Jessica met in a gun store. Um, how did you guys meet? Um, I'm, I'm going to take this story actually too. Good idea. So, um, <laughs> we knew each other in high school, but not well enough. Oh, okay. Did not, it wasn't like we didn't like each other, but honestly, Mason was a freshman. I was a sophomore and we were, um, you know, kind of at, you know, a boy freshman and a, you know, girl sophomore is at very different points in their life. Um, yes. so we, we like, were not even interested in each other at all. We weren't even friends on Facebook. Um, and then Q 20, 2017, um, this, I'm, I'm going to tell the full story. So at the time Moana had just come in, come out, um, you know, and everyone's big on Moana and there was this post going around on Facebook about how, um, you can't, you know, dress your kid up as Moana because it's screwed up or whatever to do that. So a mutual friend posted this and said, you know, this is so screwed up. You should, you know, I dressed up as Pocahontas or whatever. And of course it's got like 30 comments. So I'm instantly like, oh man, I'm going to check this out. This is a good Facebook fight is going on here. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> so I'm, you know, browsing through all these Facebook fighting comments and I see Mason's comment and I recognize his name and he was saying something like, 
I don't. What did you say exactly? Well, I was trolling, so I took a I took a hard a hard left stance. <laughs> I took a hard left stance and said, "This is like this is culturally insensitive, and you shouldn't do this, and uh, and all that." So I instantly see this comment, and I'm like, "Wow, that guy turned into a piece of crap." So of course I'm, I'm already in this mood of like, you know, I'm seeing this Facebook fight. I'm gonna, you know anger stock mason so i click on mason and i'm kind of browsing through his profile and you know i'm seeing the shooting stuff and realizing like that is not how he actually feels he's completely <laughs> trolling so i think i added you on facebook and uh the next day he messaged me and was like hey what's up you know slid into the dms kind of thing so. <laughs> okay <laughs> oh that's funny so you liked his uh witty sarcasm oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's what got me okay Boom. There you go. And here we are today. And here we are today. It worked. All right. Mm. All right. So let's get into the shooting stuff now. For both of you, how would you guys rate your 2022 shooting season on a scale of 1 to 10? And crickets. Yeah, you go first. <laughs> Probably a six. Okay. And do you, why, for what reason do you rate it a six? Well, because it wasn't an abject failure. I still accomplished some things. I still uh, met goals or matched expectations in a lot of ways. And uh, still took some uh, core takeaways and lessons away. But uh, didn't accomplish nearly as much as I could have in terms of actual um, placements. Which to me, at my current stage in my shooting career, means a lot to me. Um, and don't have any. I guess the the big core lessons that I learned are all stuff that is stuff that I I have learned in the past and more or less forgotten, which is frustrating, right? Like you want to be breaking fresh ground. So hopefully that's stuff that will take root and be constructive to doing better in the future. But it's um, almost like treading over old ground. So overall, it's it's better than a five, but it's not not by much. <laughs> so following up with that, how much of that do you think is the training you provide that doesn't maybe give you the amount of training you may or may not want to prepare for these? That's that's potentially part of it. Um, the year, not twenty twenty two, but definitely in twenty twenty one or maybe it was 2020 at this point, I can't remember. That was when I was in the middle of really fleshing out um, sort of a lot of my different philosophy and doing a lot, starting to do a ton of different private lessons and learning a lot about teaching and what people need through doing that. And um, through that process, I spent a lot of time. This episode is brought to you by Gun Butter. Gun Butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it, like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun. It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it after listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield. He loves it. Rob Epifania uses and loves it. Frank Shu uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout doing like drill based fundamentals kind of shooting to be able to essentially do um 
the sort of drills and skills that you would do in a class and be able to do them on a very high level on demand so that when you go to do it for a class, it's not a problem. And that stuff was good for developing the fundamental skill to whatever point it does, but then I let, let some other higher level, more dynamic skills fall off because I was focusing a lot on that mm. stuff. And I don't think that was as much the case this year. It was just um, a little bit of hard skills problems as far as not spending as much as much time as I should have working on that same kind of stuff, but mostly just betwixt the ears, um, kind of trying a bunch of new mental management strategies that didn't really pan out and that weren't really constructive. So do you have like a core mental management strategy you're going back to then? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I kind of buried the lead there. Yeah, so essentially okay. uh, being very detail-oriented and open-minded when going to matches and working through all the details of what happens on stages. So Rob Epifania is actually has most well-concise like synopsized sort of the program that I'm going back to. He calls it program and execute where you take into consideration every single aspect of everything you're going to do on a stage down to every like transition, confirmation level on targets, movement technique, etc. And you kind of go through and parse out every part of the plan to make sure everything makes sense and is well accounted for. And then you're committing to that's where you're writing the program as it were. And then through doing that, you're going to create, do a bunch of repetition and then execute on it. So the first time is proper. And that sounds super basic, but I, what I was doing through the body of this year was uh, a lot more, I guess, cerebral and less, um, less detail oriented than that. Like I, it's, it is possible that some of the success, success that I tasted over the last two years um, made me forego some of the stuff that made me successful. And so I'm going back to what I was doing before with a little bit, embracing the process a little bit more than I probably was. Okay. And actually, I wouldn't say that was very basic at all. That actually seems very thorough. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's ba basic in the sense that like, why, if, if something's working, why would you stop doing it? Right. And that's, that's clearly what yeah. happened. You fix something that wasn't broken and in turn broke it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Kay, your turn. <laughs> um, I would think so. I would say somewhere between a six and a seven for me. Um, I think I made a pro I made progress on a lot of consistency. Um, like I had my first uh, like uh, CO nationals. It was my first nationals where I literally had no scored penalties. Um, so there's like a lot of consistency coming in. Um, but I'm still struggling to do uh, a lot of a lot of like pushing at matches, which is what I need to do. Um, like in practice, I'm a lot faster. I'm a lot, honestly, more consistent um, mentally. Have have it together versus when I show up at a match, I can sometimes not quite have it together. Um, but I'm I'm finding that um, those two, you know, my uh, my home performance and math performance are getting closer. So I'm happy with that, but still like, you know, not necessarily hitting all of the, the goals I want on paper. Now, do you think some of that is like a failure or a, a fear of making a mistake? So you throttle it back subconsciously? Um, I think partially, um, I think. What? Well, no. 
Most simply, no. It's you. You dial it back consciously, and yeah. that's the problem. Is you start you start over overthinking and then yeah, wanting to control more than you can control. Yeah, and the confidence to be aggressive using like much looser aiming schemes and mm -hmm. and being more aggressive is not a natural thing yet. The, yeah. the subconscious tendency is to revert to a much higher degree of confirmation that is necessary and yeah and, and just more have timid. more um more tension too because it's like you know the second your grip's not doing what it's supposed to you you don't have any choice to shoot you know uh not reactively and stuff you have to because your your grip is crap um and i i find when that stress comes in then all of a sudden i'm you know strong hands getting tense left hands doing nothing um mm. and and that that's my tendency to creep in but i found this year that's getting better so i i think next year will be really good for me okay now when i was you know coming up with all my notes to ask you guys questions and stuff um okay I'm, I'm not familiar enough with your years of shooting mm. to be able to go through my head and go hmm i wonder how she would rate this yep. but i've i've followed mason for a few years and last year had him on so in my mind, I was like, well, he's probably going to give himself a score between five and seven. Um, and and knowing where he's been in the past, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, he's going to consider this a disappointing year based on what his potential is. Yep. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Now, how much do you think all of that is going to play into 2023? Well, it should be a lot, right? <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> I mean, if you're well, smart, I mean, we're smart, if we're smart at all, then it should it factor in quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, have you already taken steps uh, in your training to? Cor I don't want to say correct that that's not the right term, but to turn that clock back and reinstitute those things. Yeah, I, at least for, for speaking yeah. for myself, yeah. I mean, some of the hard skill stuff, like, um, and I guess the the executing skills, you're practicing by spending more time uh, visualizing and then really paying close attention to how things go in the first run. And so that's best augmented by doing really complex and involved skills tasks, which are which you would not be suitable for practicing any of the things that are contained in the exercise right so like you take like an l like take think of an l pres and then add three or four more layers of complexity be it through distance changes and movement or white and black on the targets or whatever for example right like it needs to be fairly complicated to make it so that you can test if your visualization is going to work so i've been doing more of that stuff and uh more of that with with movement and weird positions and things like that um but again, that's it's mostly about the mental approach, not necessarily what's what the actual training content is. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like you're. I mean, obviously you're you're a GM and a national champ, so you're right there at the very top level. So I don't feel like it's your shooting skill that needs to be improved, but it sounds like for you, it is just more that mental capacity, uh, like the mental programming aspect. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, if, if I could have just one hard skill change, like, if I could just snap my fingers and make it happen, 
uh, it would be like hitting steel more consistently. And it's like, it's, it's obviously not that I lack the mechanical skills or the knowledge of how to hit any play you can put in front of me. It's just a, a will to commit to what it takes to do it consistently and under pressure. Right. So that's, that's a, a programming error, not, not a skills error. Right. I totally get that. Now, Kay, you mentioned being on the women's super squad this year at carry optics yep. nationals. Yep. Um, did that add any unexpected pressure? You know, um, actually I found it went better for me. Um, I didn't, uh, the girl, the girls are great. You know, everyone's really supportive. Um, you know, obviously the first stage you, you like feel like you have something to prove and then you kind of realize like, yeah, no, we're all here competing. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing to prove. Like, um, and I actually, I thought it went better for me than other matches, like, especially like the moving sequences and stuff, just because there's a lot of women similar to my, you know, everyone's more so closer together than usually I'm, you know, squatted with Mason. I can't determine a moving sequence or if I can pull something off based on what Mason does. Um, right. Versus, you know, everyone, you know, I could pick out like, yeah, the, those two or three are, are pretty close to me. I'm going to watch them and see what they decide to do. Um, and I found that was really, really helpful and gave me like way more confidence than um, I would have expected coming into a lot of those stages. It's also worth noting that the women's super squad is way more supportive oh, yeah. of good or bad runs <laughs> yeah. than, than when you shoot with me and my friends. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I have to like absolutely murder a stage to get yeah. like a good job <laughs> yeah. from you guys. Yeah. Uh, and what I was going to add to that was whenever I got, whenever I watched the women's super squad shoot, it was like a party before and after, oh, yeah. and it was always high fives and woo -hoo, everybody's chatting and having a great time. And then you look over at the men's super squad and you're like, man, if, if they were allowed to shoot each other, I feel like they would. <laughs> I mean, it's like a completely different atmosphere. It's like, my God. Oh man. That's <laughs> and it's like, and it's all harassing. Like when Nils almost fell down and Phil's like, why, why are you a quitter Nils? Next time you Next time you trip, you need to continue and finish it out. <laughs> it's like, man, they don't give each other any breaks over there at all. No, no, especially <laughs> Phil's there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially Phil. I think that's the whole reason they put him on that squad is just to give everybody harassment. Yeah, just, just like harassment. Warfare. Hysterical. <laughs> now, Mason, is, is that correct? It seems to me from the outside looking in that it's much more tense on that men's super squad than it is the ladies yeah no that's absolutely correct i don't i don't think there's any genuine animosity towards each other but everyone wants to win just as bad as the other so if someone literally falls on their face it's gonna be like man i'm i feel bad for you but i'm glad it's not me next stage let's go <laughs> right yeah exactly and now you guys i observed something at carry optics nationals um, one afternoon, I don't, it was, it must've been day three. Um, because you, there was the, was that B section or section B, whatever they, I forget now, um, how they termed that, but you guys had both finished shooting a stage or it might, well, was it a stage or the end of the day? 
Anyway, whatever it was, I noticed that you guys came together and you started talking and I heard uh, Kay ask him, how was it? And I, it wasn't, the answer wasn't good. Mason was not happy with uh, how he had shot. Mm. Um, so my question is, in between days at like nationals, at the end of the day, how much do you guys talk about the different stages and verbally walk through what you've done and what, what you need to do for the next uh, day? Definitely quite a bit. Um, usually, you know, usually if you had a bad day, you can only spend so much time like feeling sorry for yourself. So usually we'll take like the car ride, kind of break down like, you know, the actual, you know, say the issues that you saw that were like egregious, you know, like you try to wait till the end of the day to actually go over it. Um, cause you don't want to be discussing that, like, you know, when you're still going to go shoot a stage. So at the end of the day, you know, chit chat through, okay, I did this, that was me messed up. Okay. I did that and kind of work through solutions. Um, yeah, definitely. I would say so. But between just the two of us, we strategize to whatever degree we can to try to figure out what uh, strategic adjustments we can make, or if there's just actual information we can collect from future stages. We'll, yeah. we'll share that as much as possible. But when it comes to just belly aching and complaining about how much we suck, like we have, we, when we house with a group of guys at every, at least every nationals, where we have a pretty a fairly strict uh, no no match no gun talk policy, like. Take that, take it outside. Like we're not talking about business. Like we only get to see each other three or four times a year. We're not going to sit here and lament how much we suck. Yeah. How much you know? You know this this mount cost me this, or this swing on this swinger cost me this. Like we just flatly don't do that. It's mm. a, a constructive discussion only. Yeah. So like a okay. shoot, I would say like because I was I think two I was like one or two sections ahead of Mason. Um, so we would go over, you know, strategy based on, okay, I shot this stage. This is what you should do. Um, cause I had like, I had Max Michelle on my squad and like that, the production optics light, um, team. So, you know, okay, this is what these guys did. You should do that. Or it, you know, this is what they did, but it didn't, I, I don't think it worked out well. Um, and like we'd strategize that mm -hmm. way. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, ba you know, basic information, strategy, um, and then come up with solutions. Yeah, I, I mean, I see that as a, it, it can't work any better being a husband and wife team out there shooting the same stages. So, and w the other part of that that made me think of that question was, like you were saying, you know, when your grip's messed up, there's only so much you can do. So then I, in my mind, I visualize the two of you at the end of the day talking about that and then taking 20 minutes to figure out what the issue was, correcting it, and then moving on. Yeah, and I think it helps too, you know, um, we know each other so well that, and, you know, we train together all the time that we know the cue mm -hmm. words that maybe, you know, the person needs to hear, even if it's not the exact solution you think of, like, Hey, you know, if you if you just got, you know, lower and wider stance wise, you might be more aggressive to grip the gun. Like just getting that feeling in your head. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something that helps me. Okay. You know, not necessarily just grip the gun, but try this other thing um that might help you just cuz we do know each other. Yeah. I mean, it's a the perfect sounding board. Yeah. So, you know, if nothing else, that's what 
you know, you're just throwing stuff out back and forth until you figure stuff out. So it's got to be a huge benefit. 100%. Mm. So talking about World Shoot, you guys went there. Um, any crazy travel stories? We were blessed to have, have no we crazy travel. We were super blessed. Yeah, our our travel went really, really easy. Um, honestly, even the uh, time change went easy for us. Like, I, I felt like I was, like, ready to go on their schedule after day one. Like, I think you got, like, honestly, I thought I heard worse stories of people that did, like, the Delta One, you know, sleeping on the plane thing. And they, like, got to sleep. We didn't get to sleep. So by the time we got there, it was, like... I don't know, like 10 p.m. their time or something. And we like went to the bar, hung out for a little bit, like, and then finally went to bed and just slept for like, you know, 10, 11 hours. And we were like, okay, we're on their schedule now. Yep. Um, wow. Easy. Yeah. I mean, it can't work out any better. What's that? Couldn't work out any better. No, no absolutely not. Yeah. No, I mean, any anytime you travel that far, you're always going to have remarkable uh, culture experiences. But, um, like based on both how our schedule worked, we weren't on the exact same schedule, so we didn't have all kinds of time to spend uh, uh, off doing excursions yeah. and what have you. And uh, the nature of Pattaya is kind of—it's kind of like a beach tit city, you know. It's like it's a lot like uh, mm -hmm. like other beach towns. Like honestly, not so dissimilar from what you'd see in the U.S. So we didn't—we didn't have any crazy adversity. Didn't have any wild stories. No, uh, it was, we had a good group of guys. It was a, um, a uneventful trip in a very nice way, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we I'm... we earned that after our Czech Republic trip. Though. Yeah, <laughs> our Czech Republic trip this year was like it was gnarly. We, it was we so oh goodness, like like forty eight hours just getting out of. The we States. were in Boston for yeah. like forty eight hours, and that's an hour from our house. Yeah. It it sounds like Matt Hopkins' experience. Yeah. At World yeah. shoot. He got yeah. that experience for sure. Yeah. No, we wow. were really lucky. We, uh, after, and honestly, I think the good thing too was we kind of got a reminder of how schedules can get screwed up in the Czech Republic. Is it still going or is this the camera issue? Oh, okay. Um, in the, in the Czech Republic. <laughs> and, um, we ha learned that lesson. So we decided to go, um, as opposed to being like one day early, we went two days early or whatever it was time-wise and it worked out great we were well rested we got to see the city a little bit beforehand and mm -hmm. so that was nice now it, it from what i saw on mason's instagram you guys got an opportunity to shoot before yeah. the match yes a bunch. and and i'm sharing this now so that's what you saw pop up Kay. oh was, yeah um Battle Mouse. This place was so cool. This place is amazing. Yes. It's incredible. They so have, like, when are you guys building one of those? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just uh, you should just talk to Sig and have them build one on your property and say, look, we'll build it here. People can come. Oh, my God. <laughs> we need somewhere to plow that. snow if we build that where we're at. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe just heaters enough to melt it before it yeah. builds up. Yeah. yeah. But God, that place really cool. can bottle the range water. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys, um, now how much did you get an opportunity to shoot at that range? 
Um, we only we shot there for that joint was rented out by the hour. So uh, we we yeah. sh went and shot a practice match at another facility, mm. which was a more like more standard uh, outdoor range, a nice nice range, but it was a regular yeah. outdoor range. They had a ten stage practice match set up, where I think we paid like 150 bucks or something, and they, they let you shoot ten stages that's sort of in their flavor, that were kind of loosely resembled world shoot stages. Um, the day prior to where we went to there, mm. and we had to buy ammo to be able to shoot that event. And so we kind of did like a course sight in, we like over the in. course of the, of the match, really. In. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> and then, uh, so then we had to go, we had bought match ammo to shoot the, the world match with. So at a minimum, we had to go make sure the guns were sighted pretty close with that ammo. So we shot over to that joint that you see there. Hmm. I think it was called Battle Mouse. Yeah. It was the name and of the range. And it was only like 10 or 15 minutes from our house. So mm -hmm. it worked out better versus if we had to go to that other range that was like 40 minutes away. Yes. So we went to that range, zeroed the guns, and then we shot for a little while, mm -hmm. and it was awesome. And we had, that that was just one example. I think there was three other ranges within 20 yeah. minutes of that place that everyone we talked to had, you know, a similar experience to that. Like, yeah, you go pay 45 bucks or whatever, you can shoot for an hour at this remarkable, yeah. you know, in, fully indoor, quasi-indoor range, like right outside town. So it's the shooting culture there is definitely... Um, it must just be, you know, by nature of the number of, of tourists that come through that area. It's it's pretty big. Wow. I had no idea. Now, I almost after seeing all the stages and, and everybody's footage and what everybody was saying, I was almost like, maybe they should just have the world shoot there every three years. I mean, we'll make that the frost proof of Ipsic world shoot. Right. Yep. Holy yeah. cow. Yep. Now, it, it looks like people were cool, too. Everything was cool. Yes, the people were fantastic there. Yeah. That, that was honestly probably one of the nicest parts. It was yeah. absolutely everyone we worked with was extremely accommodating and helpful. Now, did you guys get to do any, um, did you stay after the match at all to do any sightseeing? Not really. Yeah, we did We did one extra day um, on, the, on the back half, just it. it you know, time-wise, we've got our pets and work and everything like that. So it was about time to to get home. Um, but we we got to do a little bit of sightseeing. We went and did um, we went and saw like an it was like an elephant reserve kind of like an elephant rescue place, um, and that was really really cool. Um, we essentially gave the elephants like a spa day. Um, we fed them. <laughs> Got them all mudded up, bathed them, scrubbed them, and I kept and I kept on joking we were that we were paying to do chores. We were paying to do chores. 100%. We were paying. <laughs> that's pretty much yeah. what it was, but it was elephant. Yeah, so kind of cool. Yeah. Um, oh, that's hysterical. Did you ride an elephant? We didn't. No. Nope. Nope. No. There was a circus came to town where I live, and I got an opportunity with my oldest son. He was still very young. Mm. So early 2000s, and we got to ride an elephant. I'm like, that's a cool experience. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, so we did that. I don't know what else we did. Fed dogs. There's we a lot. Of, a there's lot a lot of dogs. dogs. Like, there's they have a lot of street dogs, which all look very well fed. And so we made friends with all our neighborhood dogs and gave them, you know, peanut butter jelly crusts and stuff like that. We did. What? Well, cool. A lot of pasta. Now, are either one, I saw you guys went to Muay Thai fight, are either one of you into combat sports or? No, not really. The, no. the guys, all the guys that we stay with are, are much more into it than we are, but it was a really, really cool experience yeah, to cool. go see it. I think it was what, it was like 
Like it was like twenty, 50, bucks, like 20 bucks for both of us to go, and then yeah. it was three three full on fights, you know, all back to back. So it was pretty sweet. It was cool. Awesome. You got to do some stuff that you would never do here in the state. So that's yeah, cool. definitely hundred percent. Oh yeah, here we go. Let me pause it and I'll share this. Whoop. Share Mason's Instagram screen here real quick. Okay, that's not going to work. Every now and then, my it likes to do like a disco light fluttering, and it's yeah. I can't put that on the screen, or we'll all have seizures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty <you> bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, make sure I've got this. There we go. Whoa, Dagnabbit, where'd you go? There we go. All right, it'll be here in just a second. And boom. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. And there he is. Finally, something taller than Mason. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be coy and, like, and feed it to him, and, and she's like, no, you're going to bring it to me. <laughs> That's this was what they did right here. They they'd be all sneaky with it. So like they they didn't want yeah. to one at a time. So they'd like tuck them in their little wrist, their little trunk wrist there, <laughs> and, and then eat them all at once. Wow, so, I guess it's kind of like Tic Tac when I could eat a whole handful of Tic Tacs. Exactly. Like, do you see how big I am? I don't eat just one. The best part was they would pretend like they would bring it right to their mouth. Like, Oh yeah, I, I ate that. Now give me another. And it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I mean the, the size comparison, when you look at the, the worker over here, I mean, that guy's barely over the top of the fence height yeah. and the elephant's got his chin above the fence. Holy yep. cow. It's crazy. Huge. They are so That's big. pretty cool. That's funny. Let me delete that now. Yeah, that's a cool experience. Yeah, it was really So did cool. you guys did you guys get lucky and have your day off of shooting the same day then? No. We got our oh. our our schedule at least was the same, but the day off was different. So it was good. At least our schedule was the same. Because right. originally that wasn't going to be the case. And then. Exactly. Originally it was going to be two different days off, but then also like Kay'd be shooting morning and I'd be shooting afternoon and then vice versa. So we would have, we would have spent every, every second we had at, at the range or working on getting to the range. Yeah. So yeah. it was good that they kind of changed the schedule around a little bit for some other reasons, I suppose. Uh, and realized that they wanted to do it that way. So we ended up at least being on the same shooting at the same time, but then different days off, which was better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you'd have been in a foreign country for a week and for five I, or six of those days, never see each other except at night. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, Oof. I, uh, we were definitely really, really nervous of that. So we yes. were glad it worked out kind of at the last minute. Yeah. <clears throat> now, ammo wise did you guys buy the ammo here in the states and take it with you no, no. you bought it over we, there. Uh, we we decided to to buy ammo there um which i don't know if i'll do that again because i i was i wasn't able to determine it if if i was uh if it was zero properly to my gun pretty much the whole time um 
you know, through for whatever reason, I, I was struggling to hit things that I, I felt I should have been able to hit. Um, and I, I was generally dissatisfied with that and some malfunctions that I had that I think were related to, to my gun more than anything, but definitely were aggravated by the fact that it's, you know, unproven ammo. Uh, so, but they, they did tee up an opportunity for pretty much anyone, almost no matter, I think, what division you were shooting, you could pretty much buy ammo there for a pretty reasonable rate. Um, that was, that, you know, fired and functioned reliably, which was nice. Yeah. We didn't want to worry okay. about it with the, um, just the plane ride over and stuff and, and say they take some ammo or whatever. We didn't want to deal with that. So... We were thinking we'll just play it safe and and buy the ammo. There's there's never any guarantee that when you get there they're gonna have ammo to, for you to buy if your ammo just doesn't show up. Mm. You know that's mm. so it's you can okay. take that fact. We thought we were playing it safe by taking that factor away and just buying ammo there. Um, for the next one around, we will probably do what we can to bring ammo. Yeah. How did you guys like the stages they had built? That was they were awesome. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely awesome. Yeah, it, it was it looked um, like there were a, a lot of skills that were being challenged. Right. So that's the like the most, I guess, cogent comparison I could make. Like if you go to USPSA Nationals, for example, especially think of Carry Optics Nationals, which we everyone sitting here attended. It was probably out of a 20 stage match, probably nine to 11 stages or like really kind of a, a pucker factor. Like you have to work at it the whole time to keep your nose clean and, and do everything right the entire way, just because of the way the skills are combined together, or like all very different skills kind of in rapid fashion. Uh, and that's a really good match for a match in America, right? Like it's usually that, that number is a bit lower. Uh, and that's kind of how IPSC is the entire time. Like the stages are just set up in a way that you have to do everything right the whole way, or you're going to be in trouble. Uh, so the match was definitely lower factor than, than we're used to or than we expected. So a much more accuracy intensive than we probably were, were counting on. We're going to have to do a little, you're going to have to scoot over as much yeah. as you can. So we're trying to keep the recording equipment operating here. Okay. Yeah. It looks like so you yeah, plugged the, in the, the laptop. The match was a little bit more accuracy intensive than we, than we probably planned on. And, but, uh, it was overall, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was everything you expect in an IPSC match. We go, we've been to a few matches now that are th that uh, definitely at least that, that good. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I would say definitely, uh, definitely difficult. Like, um, a lot of, a lot of things going on at one time. Um, what I think I liked the best out, um, what I liked about it more than I would a USPSA match is it was there was never like a stage planning issue. Um, it wasn't like, oh, somebody got the better stage plan. So now they cut three seconds off and that's what, you know, set them up to, to win that stage by 10%. It was legitimately all, all skills. I mean, it's like, did you, did you execute that plan faster or did you not? Did you get the points did, or did you not? Um, yeah, that's one thing that people really value in America, or a lot of people seem to value in America, is the concept of options on a stage. Like, there should be, like, they, th they feel that the stage should be teed up in a way that just figuring out a plan is something of a puzzle, um, where there's multiple different valid ways to do it that are meaningfully different in terms of what skills you're going to apply to get it done. And that's right. honestly not really a factor most of the time mm -hmm. in IPSC. They tee the challenge up the way they want you to do it. And there'll be very minor 
you know, choices to be made about, you know, target engagement order, or maybe potentially like, you know, Start take position. one one or two target, yeah. yeah, from from this place or that place. But for the most part, uh, the plan is going to be pretty much the same for everyone. Um, which it's less freedom to the shooter, but it's way more freedom to the designer. So they're able to tee up the challenge. Like they can make essentially a hand curtailed portfolio of different skills they want to test uh, over the course of a match. And it's, it actually gives them a lot of latitude to be able to make a very well-balanced skills test that way. Yeah. And I mean, now that you say that too, I feel like unlike USPSA, so American style shooting, that you're really getting a better idea, a better comparison of the shooters. Yeah. 100%. Yes. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to be based on, oh, like you said, oh, he had a better stage plan, something I didn't think about and saved himself a second or two. Yeah. Now everybody has to stay in the boundary lines. Yep. Everybody pretty much has to start on the left or the right or whatever. And, and it's all based on skill. Yeah. I've said before and proposed casually that it would be a really cool thing if American matches could have restricted or, or you know, unrestricted movement rules to basically have one rule set or the other as it relates to how, what, how you're allowed to interact with the, with the free fire zone. Like you could do USPSA style and IPC style stages and it could be cited on the course description just like Comstock or Virginia Count or Speed Shoot and Long, and long Course or whatever it would be like that. So you could go roll up to it, you know, X number of rounds, Comstock, um, medium course, uh, restricted motion. And, you know, you read that right from the jump and you see, oh, look, it's a it's a path. It looks like a rectangle. I know I now can't cut all back and forth across the zone or whatever the case may be. And that, that would give, I think, USPSA, the, the USPSA establishment probably feels that that's a part of the freestyle nature of the sport is that you're allowed to. You want people to be able to skin the cat by kind of bending those rules to whatever degree they want to. And I think um, it can give you a lot more freedom as a stage designer to tee up the challenge like you want it to if you're allowed to set those restrictions. And it doesn't have to be just uh, used punitively. Like you obviously yeah. see in those matches, it's used in a way that promotes, you know, a, a very well-balanced test in a, yeah. in a much easier to do way. Yeah. Um... I mean, everything else is in a written stage brief, so I don't know why you couldn't. And I, I look at it, too. You had the um, part-time stage at Carry Optics Nationals. So you kind of restricted everybody in a way with where you're starting, and you only have, you know, four and a half seconds. So everybody's kind of starting in the same place. And, almost, you know, there might be a, smite, a slight difference between shooter A and shooter B as to whether they start right here at the beginning or they step in and shoot right to left. But um, if you can do that, I don't know why you couldn't, like you said, have a restricted movement. Right. And, and you and see there's, there's lots of stages in the U S too, where they're functionally the same way. Like if you have a stage, that's a bar, right. And you start on, on one end, it's like, okay, yeah, well the stage is going to go in that direction <laughs> unless you're able to create activators that, basically force your movement to go in one way or the other so it's it's one of those things that could be a really cool option for folks and actually especially for clubs that are hard up on resources they could tee up what they want you know in a much easier to execute way the the thing i think that is the 
the biggest benefit of doing something like that too is like say you're trying to tee up that challenge where you're you're making them snake through this you know this movement or whatever what are you going to use walls and and you know whatever targets you know you're gonna you're gonna set it up so that they can't get out and you know you're not thinking about the safety of the ro in that situation um or the mm -hmm. the resources that you're using up you got, you got to be smart about it both ways, no matter whether either rule set you use. I mean, it could be punished by a, an eager beaver stage designer that wants to make a 60 second stage. And yeah. they, they, if they yeah. weren't applying the economy of effort that typically gets applied, yeah. right, you could make it, you could do that. And I think that's probably what people are afraid of, but I don't, I don't think that would, I think it would give a lot of flexibility in a really beneficial way. Yeah. Agree. I would like to see some stages at nationals where, um, especially for the super squad shooters. So it's going to be for everybody. But my point here is pertaining to those guys is I'd like to see more stages where, um, you know, JJ and Max aren't running to the left and everybody else is running to the right and doing a completely different stage plan where you guys are more directly compared you know, as to who who picked up time shooting quicker, moving in here and moving out of here. You know, that'd be much more interesting to me as someone who watches you guys and is like, you know, how are they gaining tenths of a second here and tenths of a second there on each other when they're both, you know, at the top of the game? Yeah. So, you know, from that aspect, I, I would find it more interesting. But yeah, I agree. Now. How did you guys, whoop, how did you guys, I really thoroughly enjoyed watching the Pan American, um, I forget the other, uh, was it the other Ipsic match right after Pan American and the world shoot because one, they had actual movers. I don't mean swingers and bobbers, but you know, on a rail and moving targets and then at nationals, they had them not only moving, but then bobbing as they moved. Yep. Now, what did you guys think about their moving targets? I mean, I think they were good. I thought they were well executed. Um, there was some stuff that I thought was a little bit crazy. They had a couple movers, movers that were on sliders that, that had swingers on top of that. Uh, and then in, in, both cases, actually, they had no shoots on top of those targets. Yeah, which I thought was kind of like, like spilled he, spilled the salt in the pan a little bit on the difficulty there. But uh, right. He, honestly, <laughs> though, I I didn't. I had a dot, so I, I guess I I don't know if what I'm saying even makes sense. But the the only thing I didn't like about those was the consistency because they would like the way those spinning no shoot targets would go in. They would end in a track and then be a swinger. Which is fine if that happens the same way every time, but it wouldn't. It would, like, sometimes it would hit, lose all its energy going into the track, and then be, like, you know, sitting there like this. Sometimes it would hit with all the energy and be a full swing. I actually forgot about that, yeah. That that I didn't like. Other than that, I thought they were really cool. The, the Pan American movers were honestly psychotic. A little those crazy. Were, those were crazy. <laughs> Those were, those were like i would call i'd be like oh yeah three good shots wham 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 perfect i'm gonna have like an alpha charlie and i'd walk up to it and it'd be like oh yeah there's a delta miss and it's like what but it, we, you know they're we like sort of figured this. out over the course of that match we figured out a lot better how to hit them 
mm. based on how much you had to lead the target relative based on your distance relative to the target you're shooting yeah. at just based on flight time on the bullet which i mean that's when it gets to that point in my opinion like that's not something that should be in, in a in a national level competition if you want to do that in your in your you know section or area or whatever where that's kind of the flavor and people are used to that i think that's fine but i mean it was a lot of those targets it was it, it was functionally at random how penalties were issued you know, based on where you start and how much exposure you got to that. Because that's something that's so unlike what any of us had seen, that it was it, it was a dice roll. I mean, like you said, you could call four good shots on it and just be air biscuits all around. Nothing to be had on the target when you got down there. Yeah, that, that got to be a little frustrating. I like the way that they did it, handled it at World Street quite a bit better. Yeah, there wasn't anything that was guesswork to be able to get shots on. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now at World Shoot, taking the no-shoots off, would that have then been optimal, you think? Yeah, or even replacing the white with black, right? So that you're not going to get dinged with a, oh, okay. with a penalty that sticks just for right. putting a shot where it's it just a long. hard cover. We, we, type we experienced thing. that a little bit at another uh, area match we went to this last year, too. Mm. Where it was like they were really difficult movers, and then you have white on top of it. And it's like, well, now you just took it from you can take as much time as you want to hit it to you might not be able to get the shots you want no matter how much time you spend. And that's... Kind I don't know. Over, I guess that's it's a matter of taste, but I, I find it kind of insulting. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Especially for folks that have a tough time hitting hitting the stuff irrespective yeah. of a time limit, you know. Yeah, it's not as right. big of a, it's not as big of a deal for you, yeah. but like for you know, and I don't think you necessarily need to pander to new shooters, but you no, know, especially not in an area match. Anyone, but. anyone, honestly, even I, I hit like several no shoots at that match, and it's like you know. That's not normally something I do, but I, I don't think you sh you should be punished with the time, not necessarily with oh you're you're taking time and now you're also hitting a no shoot. That's a little bit much. Yeah, I, yeah, that's like doubling up the penalty. So yeah, not not nice. I totally get that. So at um, in Thailand, what was uh, the favorite food you had? Chicken cashew nut. That was my yeah, favorite. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I ate a lot that, of that. Was that on noodles or rice? Um, it was on rice. Okay. It was very good. I the you know what my biggest disappointment was in Thailand actually was I love pad thai. Their pad thai, not that good, honestly. I think that's uh, Americanized. <laughs> It's true. Yep, I was gonna say. Actually, yeah, it's Americanized over here. I, I was really surprised because we we have a couple plot spots around here that where it's really good and really mm. flavorful with like good fresh ingredients, and we that was not our experience there. No. We tried it a half a dozen different times and couldn't, wasn't quite there any no. of those times. No, it wasn't. I was pretty wow. sad. Yeah. I got a um, a Penang curry a couple times, oh, which yeah. I think is actually a Vietnamese dish. Maybe I'm not sure, but it was excellent. That was really good. Well, I, I had a bunch of curry dishes, and they the were all really good. good. They're like, you know, side by... That's like saying, you know, you got a Mexican dish from Texas in El Paso. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, oh, that's funny. But, uh, okay. So, overall, you enjoyed the food? Oh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we, and we found some... We found all the really good restaurants really early mm -hmm. on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're definitely spoiled that way. And I mean, like okay. it's the, the, the conversion rate is very favorable it's for us a, yeah. too. I mean, 
like most things were about half price. The food in particular, you probably paid, you know, after like the quarter. conversion, probably about 25% of what yeah. you would pay for a regular meal. The first few days, we were like starving oh ourselves. Oh my God, it was so bad. They were like, oh yeah, I'll just order, you know, only, only have time to eat twice a day. So you just order basically lunch and dinner or whatever. And then we realized a couple of days in, we're like, we're dropping weight like fast yeah, with, would... between sweating hard and <laughs> eating two meals a day. Yeah. And honestly, right. and, and our one buddy, Matt, brought up the fact, he's like, the other thing is you're not eating as many carbs. And and we were like, yes. we were, honest to God, I had like visibly dropped between the travel and the uh, the first two or three days of the trip. I vis- visibly dropped like 10 pounds. And I was like, I we need to eat. We gotta do something here. And so we're like, okay, well, we're spending like $4 on meals per day. Why don't we like actually just get a couple extra? Let's, let's bump it up to 10. Yeah. So $10, $10 on food. So, so we started still eating twice a day, but we would like, we'd all order one round of food. And then as stuff started showing up, all of us would be like, yeah, I'm going to have what he had too. Um, and give me two of those crepes. And, uh, yeah. and it was like, yeah. the, the waiters and waitresses are like, what is going on? But yeah. these, these fat Americans, but it was exactly what we needed. It's true. Well, yeah. I, I always ask people who've been over there about the food because um, in the military, I was in Korea, I was in the Philippines, I was in Okinawa. So I tried all that different food and that stuff is amazing. So I'm like the one place, a lot of guys I knew over there would take a flight. They would take time off and take a flight over to Pattaya mm. and, you know, but I never did. So I always ask people when they go there, like, how's the food? One place I never went. The uh, the only thing was a lot of people did did get sick. Definitely, um, people were but, doing. To be fair, they were doing street food. Most of them were people doing. Mm. They were trying out the street food, and yeah. you'll see you'll see okay. the folks that have basically a little mobile restaurant like kind of strapped to there. They have like the sidecar with a roof and the big like scaffold basically strapped to it, and then they have the little grill, the charcoal grill on the side of that thing. Which it smells amazing, it and you smells walk so by good. and it looks amazing. But then you know, every now and then you'll walk by one that has like, you know, strips of squirrel meat or whatever <laughs> strung up, and it's just sitting there not cooking <laughs> yeah. in the sun. And you're like, yeah, huh, it's ninety degrees. This is like, this right? is a little questionable here. Yeah, so we, we no did not bacteria growing on that. No, we didn't. We did not dip a toe in that pool, and we stayed pretty healthy. Yeah, almost the almost the entire time until the end. Yeah. Now, getting into the, the training business, uh, Mason, how is the law school application and testing business? <laughs> it's doing great. <laughs> we, yeah, I didn't, didn't, wasn't thinking too hard about it when I came up with that acronym, I guess. But it, it's going yeah. up. Uh, we got a lot more classes scheduled for next year. We're, uh, we're really excited. We're doing a trip to Norway, actually, in the, in the spring next year Ooh. to teach some classes. So we're very excited for that. Uh, and then uh, it's the schedule is flushing out really nicely. I still have a good amount of time in sort of the middle of the year and the end of the year. So if, if you want to book me for a class in your area, uh, don't don't send me a message and ask when I'm going to be in your area because most likely all the classes that I have in places are already filling or full. Mm. Um, if you want to host to host me in your area, probably just send me a message and ask how to do it, and I'll send you some information on how to make it happen. Okay. I've got your web page pulled up here. I mean, if somebody, so we'll go ahead and say this now since you brought it up. 
if somebody was looking to see if you were in their area, can they find it on your calendar or anywhere like that? Or? Just send me an email. We have some different systems that are that we're developing right now that are going to organize the business a little bit better. The website that I have up is pretty well defunct. It hasn't been served. It's, it's not served much of a use for organizing most of that stuff. So we're going to move in a different direction. Uh, for the, okay. for the, the time being, if you want to book me for training, uh, you can send me a message on Facebook and Instagram and I can get you some information or just email me directly, masonlane.lsat at gmail.com and we can um, get that going on. All right, now let's get back to Norway. I assume that's after the winter freeze? Yes, it's going to be in April. Okay. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't know when the freeze is in relation to that, yeah. but I think it's that's uh, what it's going to be. Is it in May? I think it's May. Oh, it's May. It's May. Okay. I, I feel like that's about when the thaw is and then it refreezes about October. <laughs> no, we're yeah. used to it. Yeah, we are. Used yeah, to you it. guys are. But that's still a different kind of winter. We're talking Arctic Circle winter here. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So, but that's that I, I'm excited for you. I mean, you said you're going to Norway. I'm like, what? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So how did that did someone reach out to you from there? Yes, uh, the, the class organizer just uh, sent me a message directly and started and asked if it was something we'd be interested in, and we started planning it uh, in the, the early fall last year. Uh, so now it's kind of starting to come come to come to root here. Yeah. We're very excited for it. Yeah, we were actually watching uh, uh, Vikings. Might, it, we were watching Vikings when uh, it was actually fall in twenty twenty one, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. So it's, it's been been in the works for a while. We're very yeah. excited. We were watching. Oh, wow. We were watching. What were we, we were watching? watching Vikings. We were watching Vikings and playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla at the same time. We had like a little <laughs> a little Vikings like uh, time period. And I remember we both said to each other, "We're like, how cool would it be to go to Norway? We should go to Norway at one point." And like two days later, Mason gets an email from you know it's like a Norwegian sounding name, and we're like, "Oh." Yep. Yeah. Very excited. It's got it. It's got to be Google. Google heard you talking about it, and then Google heard this Norwegian guy talk, and he's like, and they're like, oh, let me recommend this. And the yeah, guy's like, hey, how did this end up on my feed? You know, if it's going to uh, work that way all the time, we're going to get an Alexa and just, yeah. <laughs> and just, just start manifesting stuff that we want. Uh, let's pick a place on the map for next yeah. year. Start, start talking about it. Yeah, Hawaii sounds great. <laughs> Oh, in the middle of winter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how many, what, what would you guys say the percentage is, Kay, that you actually, like you're going to Norway, obviously, but mm. with the, I don't know how many classes you teach every month, uh, Mason, but your time frame over the entire course of a year, what percentage of those classes do you help out with, Kay? I'd say Probably somewhere between 80 and 90%. Nice. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I go to a lot of them. Um, I do a lot of the planning for our trips. So Mason does more ammo loading. I do more of the planning for absolutely everything, um, which is You need a new us. intern. More of it. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, if we, if. Pat yourself on the back. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it it would not work out well when we if we traded positions in that way. So it 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 works good for that. Um, but yeah, I I try to go to a lot of them. We and just by me planning the travel, I can kind of figure out you know how to not be gone for too long of a time, um, and mm. make it work schedule wise. And and Mason's really good. Um, he's helpful 
with my business too. Mason will help me um, a couple days a week when he's not doing oh, nice. school lessons. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure you've taken a class before. It's they're never more than two days at a time. Yeah. Uh, so right. I mean, w while I have time during the week, especially since most of those classes operate during the weekends, most training gigs operate during the weekends. I help help you out how we can and yeah we're able to to get a lot more work done when yeah we have, you know more hands makes less work that way especially when it's labor intensive yep right yeah so it makes it a little easier to travel go mm -hmm. go to classes and then we get to we get to vacation or i guess you work but i work a little bit but you, you read <laughs> sometimes yeah depends on the class so you help out when you're not having to load your own ammo now mm -hmm. <laughs> Now, do you guys actually hand load your ammo or do you guys just buy? Yep. Okay. Yep. No issues getting the primers anymore? I mean, for a while, uh, it was it was a pretty tough job to keep primers on hand. Um, you know, through different apps and stuff, we were able to lurk and snag them or one or 2,000 at a time for, you know, some incredible markup, which we experienced for a while. Mm. But nowadays... Uh, the availability isn't really an issue. You can find, if you want to look around just a little bit, you can find them, but the prices haven't come down except for maybe, mm. you know, maybe 15% from where they were. Mm. Now you, Mason, I saw you posted, you had just taught in Staten Island recently. Yes, sir. Um, Kay, did you go there? I did not go to that one. It was kind of, it was right after, uh, I think it was right after Thailand. Wasn't yeah, it was the it? weekend yeah. after we got back from World Shoot. After taking that much time off work, I couldn't put things off more, and it, it just didn't work out in that way. So traveling through the People's Republic of New York, um, is there any, do you ever have any pucker factor doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've we've traveled through that, the states, New York and New Jersey especially, uh, for matches plenty of times in the past, shooting all sorts of different divisions. Um in the way that they're intended to be shot. We'll put it that way. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't really know how you're, I don't, we don't read, there's not really clear um, through any, you know, legal definitions that we're aware of how that's intended to be done. We make it a habit of locking all of the pertinent materials in separate individual boxes and storing them well out of reach and out of sight and uh, drive safely and hope for the best. Yeah. When, you when know, you teach I, there, when, the times we we shot a match in Staten Island too one time and we just bring ten round mags we you know set it up for right for we, those we've instances acqu acquired you know legal equipment for the a lot of the parts that where you can do it properly yeah. right but you know it's you know, at the end of the so day much. if you get to into a situation where you're you're speaking with a law enforcement officer about the contents of your trunk you're probably going to be having a bad day anyway yeah um, so. We try to just do yeah. it as properly as we can, like kind of follow best practices and yeah, be safe. Yeah, I feel like the vagueness is intentional. I, um, yeah, I think so too. And and I think it's probably better that you went alone. That way, at least you had someone to bail you out. If yeah, you yeah. We're <laughs> I, I <got> <laughs> both not out. stuck in there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now I've been bringing up IDPA more and more with people, and sure. Mason on your website it mentions that you are a distinguished master meaning you've won an idpa national championship yes sir now what are your thoughts on idpa and do you still do some of that do you plans in the future of doing that 
Yeah, I um I used to I started an IDPA. So when I got into this into shooting and started to take it more seriously and travel around a little bit, um, you know, with the support of my folks, uh, I started doing doing IDPA first because the scene in, in our area is much bigger. And at the time, there was there actually wasn't really hardly there. Well, there was literally no USPSA clubs in the state of New Hampshire. So I shot that pretty seriously for a long time. Went to all the local matches, shot all the regionals and stuff they have around here. And for a while, until 2018 maybe or so, I'm not sure, uh, they had the Indoor Nationals, which was about a half or more low-light Indoor National Championship with 13 or 14 stages. And I won one of those in, in the neighborhood of 2015. Um, so that's where the DM comes from. It's, it's a good, I mean, it's, I like IDPA for, for some things, um, some of which is intentional on their part, some of which is not. I think and it, it's definitely a regionally dependent thing as far as how quality the matches are going to be, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, in New England, we have a really strong constituency with three really big yeah. um, and really supportive clubs. Uh, so you get to see a lot of really interesting and different, well-executed moving mm -hmm. targets that you would never get to see in USPSA match with lots of electronic activators and sliders and swingers and drop-down targets do different props, um, like cool stuff that you have, yeah. like, you know, hand manipulated props and windows and stuff like that. So, I mean, the, the major matches in our area are, are worth going to. I would say they're worth going to even if we weren't as close to them as we are. But, I mean, just through experience, uh, I've kind of set the groundwork for myself that I, I don't travel very far to go to IDPA matches just uh, because I have an adversity to traveling really far for matches where, you know, the... Uh, the competitive culture is not what we're accustomed to in, in practical shooting. Okay. Now how much of your the students that you teach, how many of them are, we'll say, IDPA shooters versus USPSA? I would – it's not something I, I, I talk about extensively in classes just because um, most of the skills that you teach and that you do as an IDPA are um, – I don't know how to put this, I guess, politely, but it's not the same sort of skill set you generally apply in, in practical shooting just because the speed imperative does not really stress those skills in a way that it would in USPSA. Um, so I don't talk about it that much, but I could probably estimate 15 to 20% just based on the classes that I teach, you know, okay. in and around New England, you know, mm. up and down the East Coast. Okay. I could see that. Um, shoot, what was, uh, oh, I didn't bring it up earlier. I'll bring it up now that I did mention IDPA, but I kind of feel like IDPA is closer to IPSC with their different props than USPSA is compared to IPSC because like you were saying, I was talking to somebody recently or heard somebody recently mention that they shot an IDPA match where there was like a laser beam that you passed through and right. then that activated stuff. Yes. Um, so based um, on, actually that might've been your episode a year ago, Mason. It could have been. Yeah. Um, definitely. Like we talked about based on how they restrict the movement a little bit more in IPSC, they can funnel you to do some cool stuff that way. Uh, in our area, they do a lot of like laser reflector, you know, beam, break, break free beam. This is on a delay timer over here, kind of activators. That stuff's really, really cool. Yeah, it is. 
Um, and that's that's why I say it's like it can, from what I understand from talking to different people around the country, it can be kind of regional, regionally dependent uh, how much effort goes into it and how, how good the matches are. Yeah. In, yeah. Our, in our area, they're, they're absolutely excellent. Yeah, and, and we have a guy that, like, literally, we, we went to an IDPA match this year, and it was like they brought in water and, like, built, like, they had a boat, and you had to, like, pull yourself in the boat. I posted like, a picture of it on my Instagram. The match was, was in August. It was they they built they built up like a trench and had like a forty yard long. And you were river. in like a good sized boat. It and you're like, you're in an actual boat, and you had like a ropes that you pulled on to move the boat in water down the track and shot as you went. It was crazy, and that that's the kind of stuff you can come to yeah. expect at, at the matches in our area. Pretty much ever. I mean, that was that was that, that's probably the craziest thing I've ever seen in terms yeah. of you know effort, but. Like really cool stuff like that is par for the course in our area, so it's worth doing. Mm. Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing uh, and very exciting, actually. Well, nope, I don't think it's the picture with the what looks like a whale fin sticking out of the water. I'm trying to see if I can. Oh. I'm gonna look quickly. I don't, I don't want to waste too much time yeah. here. Oh well. Yeah, I was just, I think I went past it. Oh, right there. Is yeah, it? so it's from uh, August 19th. August 19th. All right, let me just click on a random one here. That's June 26th, so I definitely went way too far. Uh, There's a picture of three sticks, and it's the one right next to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I saw the three. Here we go. Now I'll share the screen so that people watch this can actually see it's hard to even about. believe unless you see it hopefully you can zoom in on it to see uh so you can see what's going on yeah i'm definitely gonna zoom in i'm cropping it right now so that when i go to do this it'll be much bigger and definitely more visible Oop, don't want to cut kaylee's face off there there we go i can slide over so so you literally had because it, it looks like it's a John boat, yeah, right there. And then yeah. I guess you literally had to pull yourself using these ropes, mm -hmm. right? And you can see right above and to the left of your cursor, right there. There's little little rubber ducks floating in there. Uh, that's what those are. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to use those ropes to pull yourself down, and you had to do wide transitions back and forth, clacking out targets as you went. It was really really cool yeah it was awesome wow so did you so here's a question then did you do this like strong hand only and just try to keep moving or did you stop and two-handed they, they actually gave you a nice opportunity they, they managed to keep it moving make keep maintaining the match flow but they managed to get everyone in the boat and take a, a trip down and back yeah. before before we started during the five minutes so we were able wow. to kind of figure out like what positions it was really important to be shooting at and kind of combine the combine the arrays. So you're able to do one big uh, lunge, like pull yourself down, pick the gun up, shoot a little bit freestyle on some stuff, put it down, do another lunge, shoot a little bit more stuff, you know, kind of on the move in the boat. It was, it was really cool. <laughs> it, was, it was cool. No, nobody shot the bottom of the boat, I take it? No, well, not when we were there anyway. <laughs> okay. Now, what were you putting your gun down on? Just the bottom or like a you can, uh, seat? Oh, you can't quite see it in the picture, but right behind that black box right there, they have um, 
It was like basically the synthetic like putting green material, like the little the the rug that is like uh the little has the little fingers to it. They had basically right. a mat with like some padding and that, and then like some two by two a two by two rim around it so that it couldn't slide off. Just you know if you swiped it with your hand. Wow, that's pretty cool. That that to me is fun, interesting stuff. That's why I would like the idea. I love the idea of having actual sliders for movers yes. in yeah. USPSA more frequently. Yes. Yep. The um the guy um Jason Wood with uh Target Sports USA has one uh, a prototype for for one that's that's I think he's coming out with fairly soon that looks really interesting Ooh. that yeah. may make that more feasible for clubs to do more often. Mm. And it was really small too, which was cool. Like yep. uh very compact to like ship and be able to set up. Well, and and I feel like when you get to like nationals that's where those types of skills, I think, would also, you know, when you look, when you've got those top 10 guys, you guys are all in the 90% of each other. It would be nice to see some skills in these stages that more like Ipsic, where let's actually pit their skills against each other, not necessarily just you know, stage plan. Yeah, you definitely see experience separation on those kinds of things. Cause I mean, guys that have been yeah. around the block are, are not going to freak out when they see something like that. That was one thing too. Um, when I spoke to a lot of people, obviously at world shoot and, um, a lot of us felt the same way that we weren't necessarily prepared by our nationals for the movers that were at world shoot. Like, it's just so different. You know, we don't, we don't do plates. We don't do swinging plates. Um, right. You know, a lot of those things, like, we'd at least seen the, um, the Holy Monkey uh, swinger because they have those, like, crazy around here. Um, and they had those in Thailand. But it's like a lot of those movers you, you've never seen before. And you're supposed to be at a world shoot shooting them for the first time. Now, I assume you guys, when you say check... Uh, so you guys shot the extreme Euro, I take it. Yep. Yep. So did you guys see that type of stuff in the extreme Euro? Some of those things, but not necessarily the, uh, not, not all of them. I would say like we saw more, um, plates and, and moving plates. Um, but not, not to the same degree that we saw in Thailand. Okay. And obviously that's an advantage for, you know, Europeans and, and those high shooters, you know, people from all around the world that are used to going to those matches and seeing that flavor. That's a definite advantage for them in comparison to us where we have, yeah. you know, drop turners and, and normal swingers. We don't have these crazy, crazy contraptions of sliders and, and plates and all kinds of things. Hey. And it goes back to, you know, I've been saying for a couple of years now, I'd like to see some more Ipsic matches. And people are like, well, you know, you can go to Florida and do those. It doesn't really matter. But I still feel, um, and, and I guess what I'm, what I, now that I've been shooting a little bit more and talking to people a little bit more, I feel like more of an Ipsic style feel in the USPSA matches at times would be a benefit for people doing that, especially yeah. like at a nationals have, have a couple of Ipsic stages. You know what I mean? That are more, not necessarily, okay, you can only have so many rounds or you have to do this or do that, but restrict the movement, maybe some 
some different mover type things that you would see in an IPSC match or, or props, just something to give that flavor that we're not getting. I think part of the issue too is that people think that IPSC is the same as IPSC Nationals. Like if you only go to IPSC Nationals in Florida, you think, oh, well, you know, that honestly kind of pulls out like some of the the not so great parts of IPSC where it's like, okay, well, I can't walk stages. Okay, well, I, you know, I can't do all these things. And it's like, in reality, that's like, not to be but like it's, rude or people anything, think that's that not it's, the best IPSC match. No, it's not at all. It's <laughs> it's not it's not uncharitable to say. It's I mean anyone that's been to a proper IPSC match out of the country knows that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that. it's set up by USPSA shooters, so it's not necessarily it's not mm. an IPSC match. Still, you'll go to IPSC nationals and there'll be short courses. There'll be every short course you see will be one to two positions with a, a free fire zone that's the yeah. size of this couch right and it's you know you shoot these three targets here and then you basically got to do a reload and you shoot those three targets there yeah. it's like well this is still just a uspsa match with different rules yeah and that's you see the best part of ipsc is is the stage creativity that goes into it and the way that they're much more sophisticated and and having diverse hit factors uh round counts and shot difficulties yeah. across their whole match and, and that's what I was seeing from home watching everybody's videos that they were posting. I'm like, one, the just the way they decorated their stages was outrageously yeah. awesome. But but two, it's like these guys are having to shoot. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is not like I'm gonna run over here and throw some rounds down range and I'm gonna run over here and do this and, and then run over there. It's like, no, these are you know, you can see the intensity in the stages, but they seemed like they they wanted me. I wish I could crawl through the screen and shoot it myself because it looked fun and challenging. It was, yeah, yes. 100%. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's pretty much par for the course with any level three or higher IPSC match. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, I, I cannot stress enough if you're listening and you have the means, make the time to go schedule a match, especially in Europe, because it's so easy to get to. I'm excited too. Pan Am Extreme in, in uh, what is it, January? Yes. Um, uh, so the guys that put on the, um, you know, Extreme Euro and all, all, you know, whatever other matches they do, they do like a, a slew of them. But um, they're doing a match in Volusia County um, this January, um, the Pan Am Extreme. In Florida. Yeah, in Florida. So it's a, uh, I think a level three. Mm -hmm. um, it's but it's put on stages. by those guys. They're already on the ground setting up stages now. Um, so I think that will be a way better taste of Ipsic if you know you're in the Florida area. That's the uh, the. I don't know if it's full or not, but I mean, if if that's if it's if they're a for-profit company, if it's able yep. to be profitable for them, I'm sure they'll come and do it time yeah, and again, which they'll... will be really good for us. Like, yeah. We we need people to see how good it can be yeah i think culturally it'll be really good they're they're true blue ipsic guys and they're gonna you know set up the match how they do it 30 stages yep. should be good wow 30 stages too yeah yes which is an appropriate number as long as they're around balanced and scheduled properly agree mm -hmm. agree and that was going to be my next question for you guys how you know because you've shot Ipsic outside of the state, so you've you've shot several matches now where it's that three, two, one. Um, do you guys like that format better than like the USPSA matches where it, it can be random? 
Yeah. So to sort of cover the same ground a little bit, when it's that that rule is a good for a few reasons. Number one is uh, the lower factor stages or the lower count stages tend to be lower factor because if you take an eight to twelve round stage, unless you make it um, under eight to twelve seconds to complete, right? It's going to be the factor is going to be lower than lower than five or so, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they tend to be stages that require more accuracy when you're shooting at paper. Uh, Just based on the scoring imperative, the math makes it so that it's very, very critical to hit alphas. And that doesn't scale linearly as you ascend in round count because they're a little bit smarter about it than that. But it does tee up a really good opportunity to stress uh, disciplined, accurate shooting uh, much more frequently than we do in the States without using white or black, uh, which is good for its own reasons. Uh, the other thing is, in a match management perspective, it makes it possible to shoot 10 stages in a half day, yeah. which is what we've become accustomed to shooting the Extreme Series matches, which sounds like lunacy, you know, to, yeah. to, to someone that's never experienced that kind of match, but it's doable, and they make it happen yeah. even without, basically without any reset help, except to reset movers, they make that happen over there. Yeah. This last year, we went there, and we were expected to go patch targets, and we still maintained we still the same got schedule. Done, yeah, got done at noon. Yeah. Um, and- the one, the one thing I will say is I think I, I like the three two one format, but I honestly think, for like say an area match, you're only gonna shoot, you know, one large stage or you know two large stages in that um, case, which I think can be, a little bit light. I think we did area eight at Shadowhawk a couple of years ago, and it did seem a little bit light on like you know a ten or twelve stage match. But honestly, if like a, a if USPSA even went to a style that was one one and one, it's like that would be an improvement from what we have currently. Where sometimes you'll show up and it's like, you know, okay, you've got ten thirty two round stages. Um, right. If it was if it was thirty percent each each species of course, right? That yeah. would still be an improvement from from some of what you see. Yeah. Um, I think part of what people maybe that haven't experienced those kinds of stages don't appreciate too is the economy of effort is not skilled with the number of rounds that are applied on the stage so it's not uncommon to see like i had talked about with the factor it's it's uh, it's not uncommon to see a short course that still runs like 14 to 18 seconds yeah which obviously that's going to cons- the result of that is going to be a much lower factor but that means the stage is built in a way that is physically larger it's more prop intensive um the, the the effort there's no economy of effort when it comes to you know how much they build the stages out which i suppose depending on how you look at it could be viewed as a con yeah. but uh it does it does make for much more interesting matches that way in my yeah, i agree they had a they had like a 32 round stage um i remember it was the second stage we shot at extreme euro where it's like a jungle run kind of thing and they spread out all of those targets so much that stage is like what like a minute Oh, it was, it's, I don't know if it was that much. It, it, was, it, was, it was like close to 40 like seconds. It felt like a minute. A long <laughs> stage where you're, you're, you're running for so long, you know, running, shooting, running, shooting, um, like a lot, a lot like a, um, like a three gun stage, honestly, but, but hard targets with three or four movers on that stage, seal, everything. Well, right. You like, think anyone that shot three gun, wow. you understand how winded you are after a minute of running and shooting. Right. And then you, you take that physical demand and you apply it to very technically demanding you know 
interesting shooting with a very high scoring imperative because the factor is low and it it makes for a, a really really serious challenge yeah. i mean there's uh, a few and far between american shooters that are going to do well in a challenge like that just because we're not tested on that kind of st- stuff hardly ever yeah right yeah and you have to remember too k that you're you know, you're taking 14 steps for every four of Mason. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, true. It's going to seem like a minute to his exactly. 40 seconds. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and that stage. <laughs> and I, I remember that... I, I went first on that stage. And, you know, to memorize that, you need, like, the whole squad to memorize that. And, and yeah. I did not have the whole squad to memorize that. And it was so it was essentially like, okay, I need to remember I need to get to these, like, six positions and and you know shoot it straight up like you know activator you know the whatever and uh it it was hard it was a really hard it it was probably 40 45 50 yards of running at least at least yeah it's pretty crazy wow yeah and that that area eight match was with keanu sai Mm. Um, it was a great match i just think you know 10 or 12 stages you almost you almost need to when you go to that three two one format, go to a you know, okay, we're gonna get through sixteen stages or something like that just to get the numbers up a little bit. But I don't know. I, I didn't feel Here's, that much I didn't leave that much hungry for more shooting personally. I thought they made they made those match. small stages feel very big in the ways that I described. Yeah. But that is the nice thing about when you see that format type, it's typical to see sixteen stages minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like too on the Ipsic, even though you're doing ten stages, um, you're not exhausted. You're not tired. No, you no. know where you're coming back later. You know the next day and shooting, you're 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 good to go. So yeah, 100%. right. Because it's I mean you just spend so much less time standing and walking when you're patching half or a quarter as many targets. Yeah, yeah. So now my last question is Georgia or TCU? I'm sorry, what? Nat- Co- <laughs> College Football National Championship. Georgia or TCU? Even if you don't know who's what, who what, you going to what, what state is TCU? Texas Christian University. Oh, yep, that Texas Christian. So they're from Texas. <laughs> I'm going to go Georgia. Okay. Be a contrarian, TCU. Oh boy, we follow sports really closely. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> the pats are out now, right? Yeah, the pats are out. Yeah. All right, so that's what I've got. Anything you guys want to add, or any plugs? Uh, anything? You want to so. plug? You want to plug your business? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, well, guys, you know what gonna... I am going to plug? Can I plug one thing? We nope. yeah. are part of a uh, state match next year. Um, it's called the NH State State USPSA match uh, level two that will be in Dunbarton, New Hampshire. Um, we're doing some stage designing for it, and it's to benefit a great cause. It's a, um, I think it's called Deliver Fund, um, which is a, a company that helps track down people and helps uh you know raise awareness for um human trafficking so devin uh, mcmanus is the match director but we're gonna be helping out and running a stage and doing all that next year so she's the match director who's operated the um two of the three years that pioneer was at 
um, or that Area 7 match was at Pioneer. She was the match director. So mm -hmm. she's a very experienced match organizer. And it's guaranteed to be a very uh, well attended, organized, and executed event. So I think it's June 8th through 10th. Yep, definitely. At least if you're in, you know, the Northeast or on the East Coast, it's definitely a match worth looking at. If you're, um, if you happen to be a company that's listening to the show, you know, we're always looking for more sponsors that want to get yep. involved in something like that, uh, especially for a, a very uh, valuable cause. Yeah, and it's a, a tax uh, uh, refund. Yeah, because oh, right it's, all. Yeah. Okay. So it's now you said okay, so it's a New Hampshire state match, but it's the what fund? Deliver, Deliver fund. fund. Okay. That's the, uh, right. uh, yeah, the charity. Okay. I'll have to check it out. And if I can find it, I'll put a link in the show notes so people can Thank check you. it out. Excellent. Thank, Thank you. You're welcome. Well, you guys, this was uh, fun. I appreciate both of you coming on. It, <laughs> it was quite, uh, quite fun and exciting. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being on. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.